Matthew chapter 6 is part of the first message Jesus Christ ever preached. He preached three chapters here, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, normally called that. Somebody has said that's the longest message he ever preached, and after that they all got shorter, and uh, preachers should learn from that. But the Sermon on the Mount is a tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture. And as he gets here in the middle of it, he begins to talk about you and your daily life and the problems you're going to have in situations. How many has done any worrying this week? Anybody worried this week? All right. Worry is pretty common sense. The rest of you is lying, so now you're lying and worrying both. <laughs> worry is pretty common. I hope you don't worry. Uh, my wife put me up a deal on, in our office years ago, says worry is like a rocking chair or something to do but never gets you anywhere. And that's the truth. Uh, worry will kill you. God doesn't want you worrying. But you get into verse 24, it says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon there is kind of a broad term word. Primarily talks about money or the things that come through the use of money or the, uh, the having of money. It might be possessions or entertainment, this, that, and the other. But God says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and serve mammon. He said in verse 35, now verse 25, he's going to take off with this idea. Therefore, because you cannot serve God and mammon, take no thought for your life. The Bible said that we ought to give up our life and receive his life. We ought to lose our life so that we can have life. And, there's, and that's a great truth. He said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat. Now, God knows that people like to eat. We're fixing to go eat after church. God says, I don't want you worrying about your life. I don't want you worrying about what you're going to have to eat. He said, uh, further, he said, for what you shall drink. He said, I don't want you worrying about having uh, what you need to drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. He said, don't be worrying about having enough clothes. Now, I know in America, we're not worried about getting enough to eat, enough to drink, enough to put on. But that's not always been the case through history with people. Most people uh, before American age spent most of their life just working to eat and have clothes and exist. And that's the truth. He said, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? There again is this thing of eating and taking care of life. And by the way, the truth about it is we're out there trying to make a living. You're working your job, trying to get food for the household, trying to pay the bills, trying to take care of the clothing needs your kids, trying to have things you need. This is what he's talking about. And he says in verse 26, Jesus is going to give us an analogy, something to look at that will help us not to worry about our life. He said, behold, the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And here's a, an amazing statement. Are ye not much better than they? How many in here thinks that God thinks more of you than he does a rat? Well, unless you're a radical environmentalist animal rights tree hugger, you know that. But you may not know that if you're one of those. But God, listen, people are not animals in the sense of what an animal is. And God says, if I'm going to take care of that bird, and I'm going to provide for that bird's needs, I'm going to take care of your needs. Amen. I want to take care of your needs. I'm your heavenly father. Any good father in this church house today does not want his children worrying about where the next meal is going to come from, do you? You would not enjoy your children walking up and saying, Daddy, how are we going to eat tonight? Daddy, what are we going to wear? Daddy, we don't have any shoes. We don't have any clothes. Daddy, we don't have anything to drink in the house. We don't have no place to cover our heads. You don't want your children doing that. And our Heavenly Father does not want you and I fretting our life away 
and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and how we're going to make it. How many's made it thus far? Raise your hand. How many thinks you might make it the rest of the way? You will. Now he said there, he said, you're much better than they. And verse number 27 said this. Now watch this. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Taking thought about everything. This way he's getting down to your mind now. He's saying, listen, you're letting your mind be worrying about stuff and getting beset by all this stuff. He said, you can't, you can't make yourself grow by worrying about running through your mind. And he said there in verse 28, he gives another example. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies. There's a beautiful song. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he says, listen, wherefore, and somebody says, if God says wherefore in the Bible, it's wherefore for a reason. It's therefore wherefore. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow's cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? This is our problem. We don't have a lot of faith. We don't, we don't know and understand that our Heavenly Father is God Almighty and he's well able to take care of us. Can I tell you something tonight? Now you listen to me. It could happen in America. The Social Security could collapse. I wonder if it'd make you commit suicide. I wonder if you'd, oh, oh, and wonder if you'd march on Washington. I wonder if you'd start shooting toward the White House if Social Security, what, what about the check you're getting? What if government couldn't take care of you any longer? And by the way, can I tell you, probably what's going to happen in this country is going to get to the point where government won't be taking care of you. And you're going to find out that only God can really meet the needs of your life. But would your life go crazy if, you did, if Social Security went bankrupt? If the government, if your retirement, your, the company that you got a retirement from, uh, you know, suddenly your, the retirement fund's empty and they're bankrupt and somebody raided it and you don't, and you were depending on that. I'm telling you, God is trying to get us to where we're not dependent upon man, upon governments, even our own abilities, and to trust our Heavenly Father. That's where he's trying to get us to. Well, he, he goes ahead there and he says, uh, he says, little faith. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, he's going to use a phrase here three times. And the phrase is, all these things. Verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows our needs before we even know them. And God is the one who is truly able to meet our daily needs. And by the way, he said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Anything beyond that's a luxury. Amen. Now he said this in verse 33. Here's the key. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I want to preach today a message entitled, The Promises of God's Priority. God sets a priority, and then he connects a promise to it. Now, I'm not going to stand up here today and lie to you in a way and say, oh, I never worry about this, or I'm never concerned about the future, or I never wonder about this. But I am going to tell you that in a pretty settled way. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about next year. I'm very aware that I could lose everything I have materially wise on earth. There's nothing we have that cannot be taken away from us except our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only thing we've got that cannot be taken away from us. 
So I could lose my house. I could lose my wife. I could lose my children. I could lose uh, whatever possessions we have. I could go home today and stuff be stolen. It has been before when I got home from church. And God says, Reggie, I don't want you worrying about that. Let me tell you what. We talk about peace. And one thing we don't have peace is because we're so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I'll tell you, I went through a time whenever literally I thought worry was going to kill me. I was so uh, distressed about some things. And here's a passage of scripture that God used to steady my soul through the storm. It's the next verse. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Look at this phrase, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what? I could be worrying about what I'm going to do about something that's due next week, and I might not even be alive. What's the use of me worrying about things beyond sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Things can change really, really fast. There's many cases in the Bible when it looked like people, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Can you imagine him walking toward the lion's den, getting ready to be thrown in? But God changed it. Can you imagine the three Hebrew children being walked to the fiery furnace? But God changed it. I mean, from one hour to the next, the world has totally changed. I want to say to you young people that are just getting married and raising your family and maybe you've had some hard licks and so forth, and especially some of you midlife married people. And about the time you thought you're really getting ahead, you get 14 knocks behind. How many ever lost everything? You know, some of you have, I'm telling you something, or about everything. That's not fun. But I'm going to tell you this, that God can turn it around and he can turn it around fast. And God does not want you worrying about the future. Now, he gives a promise here in verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All of your basic life necessities will be met if you will seek God, not second, not third, not fourth or fifth, but first. Lord, help us to preach today in a way that would glorify you. Help us to glorify and exalt and lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, help us to preach in a way, Lord, that would... Help these folks that would feed the flock of God. Lord, that would disturb the devil's aggravation to their lives. I pray God today, build us up in the most holy faith. Make us know who you are, that you don't write stuff to torment us, that you mean what you say. And Lord, I pray today, take away the care and the thinking and the worrying and the fretting about all the junk that life throws at us, the uncertainty of this world. And God, help us to know, Lord, that You're unshakable, you're unmovable, you're immutable, Lord. You don't change. And that you're the God that takes care of the sparrows, Lord. You're the one who clothes the flowers. And you're well able to take care of us. And so, Lord, I pray today, fill this place with faith and hope and joy and gladness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray today, if there's anybody in this building that's lost, Lord, they're one heartbeat away from the bowels of hell forever. I pray, God, they'll get saved while they're sitting in their seat today. I pray, Lord, they'll get honest with themselves that they're a sinner and they deserve hell and eternal separation from God. And, Lord, it's no light thing to sin against the Lord. I pray, God, today, make them fear and tremble, Lord, that you're a just God. And if you did justly, Heavenly Father, apart from Christ, we'd all be in hell. I pray, God, today, make them, Lord, give them the spirit of repentance. God, make them humble themselves before you, Lord, and, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And help them to know, Lord, it's not how good they'll do but it's Christ and Christ alone and His blood that was shed for their sin in their place on the cross. And Lord, I thank You that we're saved by grace through faith and make that real to people here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
I want to preach this on the promise of priorities. The Old Testament has a principle in it, and it's this. I couldn't believe it this morning. I'd come up and sat down in my seat today, and Brother Dean walked in, and he had a, 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 a napkin. And something was inside the napkin, and he said, well, he said, here, this is yours. He said, in the Old Testament, this was supposed to come to the priest. He said, it's the first fruits. I sat there, and knowing what I was going to preach on, I like to fell out of my seat. And what he brought was a little yellow tomato, and it was the very first ripe tomato, and he brought it to his preacher. Isn't that sweet? I mean, that's a blessing, isn't it? I just popped it in my mouth and ate it. I, I knew somebody would get it if I didn't eat it. I got it. Amen. And so I ate it. And I thought how amazing that the Holy Spirit put it on his heart to pick the first ripe yellow tomato, tomato day and bring it to church. And here I'm going to preach on putting God first in your life. Because that was the way God began to teach the people in the Old Testament. They were to bring the firstborn to the Lord. Do you know the Bible said they had to redeem the firstborn with it? Remember that wild ass message I preached? And they, the firstborn belongs to God in a special way. They were to bring the first fruits of their harvest. They were not to eat that. They were to bring it to the Lord. And it was an act of faith and it was an act of worship in that we will give God the very first things of our lives. Everything, if you read the Old Testament, everything that was first in their lives was to be given to God. When you get into the New Testament, there's the teaching of the first day of the week. This is Sunday. We're to give God the first day of the week. We're to give God the first hours of the day. We're to give God the first part of our increase or income. God says, I am God, and one of the things I'm going to do is teach you that I come first. Now, let me tell you something. God is God. He's got a right to be first in my life and a right to be first in your life. Amen? He's God. And one of the ways He tests us and tries our faith is to find out if we are putting Him first in every area of our life. The principle was this. All through the Old Testament, right on through the New Testament. That if we'd put God first, He'd take care of our lives. We'll never have to worry about the basic necessities of life. Don't have to live and fretting and worrying about things. God will take care of you. Don't have to worry about all those issues. He'll meet your needs. You know, I find out this, that people don't mind spending money on things they love. Did you ever notice that? If you love a four-wheeler, you'll, you'll scrape up the money. If you love fishing, you'll scrape up the, the, the reel, the boat. You'll scrape it up somehow or another. You like a motorcycle, right? Did, have you got one? How'd you get it? You got three of them. How'd you get them? Working and make money. Oh, I'll tell you, you had to scrape it up, didn't you? Oh, I'm going to tell you what. Listen, I, 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 I'm telling you what. You know what you love to do? You'll scrape up the money to get it done. If you like to go do this, you'll scrape the money up. If you like to go do that, you'll scrape it up somehow or another. God knows that we invest in, we put first in what we love. Now, we talked about this thing of two masters and, and uh, putting God first. And uh, there's nothing. God says, I want to give you all these things. Now, let's get something straight here this morning. I'm not preaching against 30-30 rifles, bows and arrows, Deer hunting, nah, I, you know, I, I, I will preach against white socks and chrome on your car, but other than that, everything, everything else is all right. <laughs> God ain't got a problem with money. Do you know, how many of you understand that God ain't got a problem with you making money? Does everybody understand that? God ain't got a problem with you enjoying your fishing boat. He don't have a problem with you enjoying some things in life. God ain't got a problem. God's a good God, amen. amen. Uh, but he does not want you to get anything between him and you. And so if money starts getting between you, he'll deal with your money. He don't want you to put your children between him and you. 
He doesn't want you to put your family between. You're not to put your family first. God doesn't want you to put your land first or your house first or your cattle first. Or your, he doesn't want you to put your looks or that care of your body or stature between you and God. He doesn't want you to put your health between him and you. He doesn't want you to put your appearance. He doesn't want you putting friends between you and him. God says, I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first in your life. I am God. And part of your worship to me is to put me first. Now, I'm just going to say this real simple. Most of your problems and my problems, we're not putting God first. I show you an area of life where you got trouble. I'll show you where you're not putting God first at. Because God will mess up your world everywhere you're not putting him first in. He doesn't want you putting friends or popularity between you and him. He doesn't want you putting your possessions He doesn't want you putting your job, your work, your vocation before the Lord. He doesn't want you to put pleasure in front of Him. He doesn't want you to put fun, entertainments, trips, or enjoyments. And by the way, He does not want people to put the ministry between them and the Lord. This is where a lot of preachers get messed up. A lot of people that serve the Lord and work in the ministry. They begin to put that ministry before the Lord. They can put the work that they do, all of a sudden it becomes more important than their personal relationship with the Lord. God gives us a promise of priority. He says, if you'll seek me first, everything else will be added to you. Three times he said all these things. I believe we serve a good God. He said this, if ye being evil know how to give good things unto your children, good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things unto them that ask him? I don't go for this thing about God up there with a the sledgehammer waiting for you to move, do, make a move, wrong move. God knows my wrong moves before I ever moved them. God knows my thoughts before I ever thought of them. He sees my thoughts afar off. God knows how frail I am. God knows, I'm telling you something, He hath not dealt with me after my iniquities and after my sin. God is a merciful, good God. Now, He wants honesty in the heart and He wants repentance. But God knows us. He knows you got a flesh nature. He knows you need a Savior. He knows you're not good enough to go to heaven. He understands all those things. But here's where God wants you to act. God says, I want you, and this is where spiritual maturity comes in at. God wants you to a point of where you start loving Jesus. Now listen to me. Because of who He is, not because of what He can do or give you. This is where God wants to lead us. This is where God wants Reg Kelly at. God wants me to love him because of who he is, not because of what I can get out of him or what he can do for me. This is the difference between seeking the Lord's... Uh, Kenny, you're just too handy. Would you come up here for just a second, please? I want to show you something. Now, you watch this. Kenny, you stand up there. I'm going to pretend like he's my heavenly father. All right? I am his child. This is how we spend most of our life in our relationship with God. We're always looking at God's hands. We're always looking at His hands. What's God got for me? What can God give me? God give me something. And if we happen to look up, it's like, God give me something. And we look back at His hands. The Bible says not to seek His hands, but to seek His face. Seek ye first the the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. God says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God is wonderful. God is glorious. God is holy. God is righteous. God is wise. 
God knows that we'll never be what we could be until we quit looking at His hands and start looking at His face. And we love Him not because of what He can give us and do for us, but because of who He is. Let me tell you something. Can you say something? Do you know what Karen really wants from me? Karen doesn't want me to love her uh, 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 brother because of what she can do for me or how good she can cook or how good she can kiss. He wants me to love her for who she is. And may I tell you this, that until we love our spouses for who they are, not what we can get out of them, we're going to have marriage problems. Did you know that we need to love our kids for who they are, not how wonderful they are, not how spiritual they are, not how good they make us look? Did you know your own kids can, they pick it up whenever you're, they're wanting you to make them look, mom and daddy look good. When you must love your kids because of who they are, not because of what they can do, what they can achieve, or how good they can make you look. This is the deal about love. This is about seeking Him first. And so I'm saying to you this, there's this promise of priorities. But priorities can get so slowly out of whack, we don't even know we've done it. Oftentimes, we've got God out of priority in our life. He's quit being first, and we didn't really mean to. We, honest to goodness, didn't mean for it to get in this kind of shape. It just kind of gradually moved until all of a sudden there's things in between us and the Lord, and God knows that, and we may not have even seen it. God sees it, and God's going to deal with it. God really is our Heavenly Father. He really does care. He really wants to take care of us. Uh, there was a six-year-old boy in 1965. This, I want you to listen good. This is a true story. A six-year-old boy lived in a large upper northwestern city in 1965. His dad was a drunk. He lived in a sorry, low-down, broken-down part of a large city. He was around drunkenness and all the filth and life uh, uh, that you can imagine. He said, I knew what it was to step over drunk, vomit, drunks, and vomit in our home. He said, we never went to church anywhere. I didn't know God hardly existed other than some figment of somebody's imagination. But he said, as a six-year-old boy, he said, there was something I liked that most other boys liked, and that was a bicycle. And he said that five blocks from my house as a six-year-old boy in 1965, he said there was a Swin bicycle shop. How many knows what a Swin bicycle is? Cadillac bicycle down through the years, okay? And he said, you know, he said, I would see the ads in the paper. And he said, I'd run down to that store on Saturday morning. And he said, I'd put my nose up against that glass and look at those swing bicycles. They had them hanging from the ceiling. They had them rolled up in racks. Oh, he said, candy apple red. Oh, beautiful shine in the chrome. He said, I wanted a bicycle. He said, I'd run home. And he said, you couldn't get in that swing store as a child by yourself. You had to have a parent with you to go into that swing bicycle. Anybody know why? All right, you know why. Anyway, he said, my dad, he said, I'd say, Daddy, would you go down to the swing bicycle shop with me this Saturday morning? I just want you to see. I want to go in. He said, I got, he said, my daddy never had no time for it. Nah, son, we ain't going down there. We can't afford no bike. You ain't going to have no bike. You just will forget about that. And he said, yeah, but he said, every Saturday morning I was loose. I was down to the swing bicycle store. My nose up. And he said, I learned something. He said, when I seen another daddy come in with his little boy, he said, I could step up to the door and smell the paint and the rubber. How many here has ever wanted a bicycle really, really bad? Am I the only one? Oh, there's one. I want to tell you something right now. And if you ain't lived down in Booger County, and you're hauling hay for half a cent of bale, and up at Western Auto, there's one of them bicycles, Daddy. 
Daddy, I'll tell you what, Mama take me to Mountain Grove. She'd do her shopping. Me and Steve would run down to Western Auto Store down there where them bicycles was. Oh, we're going to get us a 26-incher, not one of them little sissy bikes, 24-incher. We're going to have us a 26-incher. And we said, how much is that? $35.75. How much is the tax on it? Be forty-one sixty-two. Oh, we're going to go back. How many bales of hay we got to haul at a half a cent a bale? And do you know what? Where there's a will, there's a way. And I got my bicycle. And the first thing I did on it, jumped on it. And I took off down the road. And I forgot Mom put up the barbed wire so the cows wouldn't come in and caught me on the neck. Thrown me like that. My bicycle went in the ditch and I went. I had a big gash in my neck. Bicycle experience. Bicycles are dangerous. They ought to outlaw them. <laughs> there, you, you heard about the bicycleman, haven't you? You know, it's like the gunman. It's the bicycleman. But anyway... He said, I wanted that back. And he said, all of a sudden, in 1965, he said, they came out with this ad in the paper and they had this brand new series of bicycles. He said, it had this smaller wheel and it had a banana seat on it. How many members of banana seat? Whoa! Somebody said heavy people could ride them. And a bicycle. And he said it had monkey bars. How many members of monkey bars? Oh, we're getting home now. And he said, and then he said it had that crank. He said it had that little fender turned up. He said, I just knew if I had one of them every girl on the block, it'd be wanting to ride with me on my bicycle. Ooh. And he said, again, I went to my daddy, daddy. He said, they got a new bicycle down there. He said, daddy, it's the beatingest thing you've ever seen. It's got shock absorbers on the back, shocks on the front. He said, when you hit the potholes down through our street, it will, we'll never know it. He said, daddy, would you come at least look at it with me, son? He said, I ain't got no time for bicycles. You don't need no bicycle. So he said, I grew up, and the only bicycle I ever had, one I stole. He said, we got it stole back and forth. He said, it was a stolen bike. He said, you'd steal it for three months. Another guy steal it off you. You'd find it seven blocks down, you know, and you'd steal it back. And that's the way it went. This boy at 18 years of age got saved. After he got saved, the Lord called him to preach. He began to do evangelistic work. And he'd been preaching. And then he was preaching for 44 years. Now, I added up. Is that, could that be right? Could that be possible? 65 to 2,000 is how many years? 35. So around 2008, you'd have 44 years, right? He said, I was preaching, and I was wore out, drained out. And he said, the devil had really been on my back, Terry, telling me, you just wasted your life surrendering to preach. You've wore yourself out traveling everywhere. You never get to be home with nobody. And then the old devil said, God don't really care and it don't matter. And God don't care about you. And God don't care about the things you want. And he said, I, was, I went home one night after a service. And he said, I was out of it. He said, I hit the bed. He said, I was drenched in wet sweat. He said, my mind, spirit, body, and soul was drained out. I'd had it. And he said, the next night, I literally forced myself to walk into church service and preach. He said, I preached. God put up with it. He said, after the service, he said, now this is, this is a long way away from where he's raised. He said, the service got over. He said, this guy i never seen before in my life comes up to me. And he said, sir, he said, I need to talk to you outside if you don't mind. He said, I thought, good land guy wants to whoop me or something. What's he want? I don't know who this guy is. Where'd he come from? And the guy said, no, no, no. He said, listen, I just want you to come out to my van. I, 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 he said, I feel funny about this, but he said, I'm just trying to do what God told me to do. So he said, I follow him out there to the van. The guy says, now listen, I don't want you to laugh. Don't laugh at me. He said, I'm just obeying God's all I'm doing. 
And he said he opened up the van door and there's a box. And he said uh, he took a knife, cut that box open a little bit. And he said when he pulled that back, he said, I saw a 1965 banana seat monkey bar handle. said, just like the one I seen hanging in that store. He said, what's this about? He said, I'm from New Jersey. And he said, God told me to load this bicycle up and bring it to you. He said, I'll tell you. No, he said, you don't tell me, tell me nothing about that bike. He said, I know that bike better than anybody. He said, I knew every detail about that bike when I was six years old. So there's nothing you can tell me about that bike. He said, what's going on? He said, God told me to give it to you. He said, how'd you come by it? Well, he said, when I was a little boy, that bike came out. And he said, my dad took me down to Swin store and he bought two. And he said, son, this one's for you to use. And he said, this other one, I want you to put it away. Someday it'll be worth a bunch of money. And he said, I've had it sitting in my garage all these years. And he said, I kept saying, this can't be real. I can't. And what he did not know was the story on the other side. And that preacher said this. He said, I took that bike home. And he said, I put it in my garage. And he said, I have never put my foot on the pedal. I have never sat in the seat. He said, it sits there all brand new, spanking new. And he said, every time the devil tells me that my God doesn't care about me, And he said this, if my God is big enough that before I was ever saved, are you listening? Before I was ever saved, I'm going to tell you something. God knew you before you was ever conceived in your mother's womb. God has good plans for you. He said, if my God is big enough when I'm six years old that a man in three states away can buy two bicycles, one for me and one for his boy, and save it for me in the box for 44 years just to let me know he heard my heart and that he cares about giving me things and he cares about my life. He said, what else will God give me? What else will God do? He said, every time I wonder if God's going to take care of me, I look at that bicycle. I look at that bicycle. You see, things may not be in your timetable, but they are in God's timetable. They are in God's timetable. Here's what he said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will be taken care of. Girl. Appalachian Mountains. How many has ever been back on them mountains where they, where they plant tobacco and stuff on the side of them crazy mountains? I mean, they go up like this and you'll see them up there they got a roll of tobacco up there. Way back in some of them old Carolina and Georgia mountains. This girl's raised in, in the mountains. Well, there's a boy met her. True story, okay? This boy met her. Didn't live real close to each other. They, 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 they went across each other, and he took a liking to her. He told his daddy, he said, Daddy, he said, there's just something in my heart that says I need to marry that girl. He said, I'm going to go talk to her daddy. He said, well, now, son, he said, I'm telling you about them girls up in that part of the country. He said, when you bring them out of the mountains, said, they're limp because they're one leg's a little shorter than the other. <laughs> said, they've been, they've been walking on the side of them hills so long. Said, they, he said, now, you need to know when you bring her out of the mountains, she ain't going to walk straight. 
And he teased him about it a little bit, and the boy went up there, and he seen his daddy, and he said, I, he said, I think it would be all right. I said, you go talk to her. So he went to talk to this girl, kind of got her off by herself out there on the back porch. And he said, well, he said, I've asked your daddy uh, that I'd like to court you, and then said, but with the intent of marrying you. He said, I just, I just I'm being honest with you. Boy, how'd you like somebody to do that, Livia? Go like that, girl. Watch her. She's going. <laughs> and she, and, but she, sa- she says, I'd be honored to marry you. We've known each other for a while. We kind of know about each other's lives. We, it, it, this ain't no shock. It really no surprise in a way. But she said, there's something you don't know. And I'm not, I'm not letting this go any further till I get something squared away. There's a problem. And he said, well, what is it? She said, I have a physical problem. And it's this, I'll never be able to have children. And you don't know that right now, till now. And she said, I'm not stupid. She says, every husband wants to have children. And she said, I'm just going to tell you now, you need to know. And you're not going to answer me today. You're going to go think and pray about this. But we'll never have our own children. And... uh, She said, I want you to go pray about it, and then you can make your decision. He went back home and spent two or three days, went to his dad, told him about it. He said, son, that's between you and the Lord. Can't answer that for you. He came back to his dad and said, dad, I just feel in my heart that's who God wants me to marry. In fact, he said, daddy, he said, God really dealt with me. That I need to marry her because of who she is, not what she can give me. God's taught me something about love in the middle of this thing. That's not what somebody can do for me, but who she is. So he went back and he told her, he said, uh, I've prayed about it. I've sought the Lord and I believe God wants us to be married. If you'll marry me, she said, I'd, I'd love to marry you. And they got married. And she, they, said, they said to themselves, we're not going to worry about this. No kids deal. We're not going to let that bother us. But it did. And where they went to church, she got to where that, Every time there's a new baby at church, her heart would grieve and hurt. She got to where all she wanted to do was go hold somebody's baby for them while they went. And she, just, and she found herself just constantly, constantly being drawn to babies. And finally, she went to the pastor and she said, I want the church to pray for me that I'd be able to have a baby. And Oh, she just got, and she got all fretted about it. Oh, and she began to pray and plead with God. God, give me a baby. God, give me a baby. God, give me a baby and so forth and on and on. And she went on and, you know, God never did give her a baby. But one day she came into church and she said, I need to say something. And she told the pastor and some of the people, she said, I want to ask you to forgive me for my fretting against God's will for my life. She said, God has shown me that I need to love him and serve him if I never have a baby. And I need to quit blaming the Lord about whatever's in the past of my life. And And she literally gave that thing entirely to the Lord and started serving the Lord with no strings attached. Lord, I'm just going to put you first, and you don't have to give me a baby. If you're not careful, you know what you're doing? You're doing things for God with a little bit of a, God, did you notice I did this, and you, you kind of ought to do this. And she let it all go. And I'll end this quick. A year and a half later, they had a baby. 
True story. I'm saying this to you. Start putting God first. You start putting God first. This week, a businessman talked to me. He said, Reggie, he said, uh, I was going along. He said, I was going to church. And he said, uh, uh, he said there was a man in our church who uh, began to buy stuff at my business place. And he said, he charged and he charged and he charged. And he charged some more and he charged some more and he, and he charged some more. And he said, the first thing you know, the bill got huge. And he said, we went to church together every Sunday. And he said, then he got to where he wouldn't hardly talk to me. And he said, the next thing you know, he said, he's bellied up and went out of business. And he said, my wife and I are hung with many, many thousands and thousands of dollars worth of bills. And he said, Reggie about destroyed me. He said, I thought about it day and night. He said, you couldn't go to church without thinking about it. You couldn't pray without thinking about it. You could not read your Bible without thinking about it. And he said, one day, and he told me the place. I know where it's at. Right down by your place, Ben. He said, I pulled up near your son's fence down there. And he said, one day, and he said, I'd had enough of it. And I throwed up my hands there, and I said, God, everything I own belongs to you. I'm not going to worry about this anymore, Lord. I'm going to focus on putting you first in my life. I'm going to give that bill to you if it breaks us. And everything we own and everything we are belongs to you, Lord. And he said, Reggie, I literally throw my hands up in the air. And he said, when I gave that all to God and said, Lord, all I want to do is just put you first in my life. You said, if I put you first, you'd take care of our needs and make sure we had food on the table. And he said, Reggie, God released me from that when I put him first. He said, for a long time, that bill was first. That money was first. I try to close this out. In the early 1900s, there was a young man, 18 years, 18 years old, got started doing some things. By the time he was 22 years old, he was one of the richest young men in America, single. He had several stores. 22 years old, he actually was a millionaire in the early uh, 20s there when he's 22 years old. By the age of 24, he had married. They had children. He had unbelievable wealth, unbelievable wealth as a 24-year-old young man married with children. It looked like his life was just blooming and blossoming. They went ahead, continued to increase their wealth and their possessions. In 1929, he'd gotten so wealthy, he began to speculate on a lot of things, and he bought 120,000 acres down in Florida, speculating on land. The, no, October 1929, the crash came, and the dominoes fell faster than he could run out from underneath them, and he lost everything. In the process of it, in his loss of all this stuff and wealth and houses, he had cattle. He, had, he actually was the, his work. Some of you, I'll disclose who it is when I say this. He was the start of the person who started Foremost Dairy Products. And he lost his cattle, he lost his land, he lost his stores, he lost everything, and he began to lose his health. And his wife left him and, her ch- and his son and his children. A friend recommended that he became suicidal, and a friend recommended that he check himself in to a sanitarium, which is a nice word of saying back in those days of an insane asylum in Battle Creek, Michigan. They had him in an eight-by-eight eight room and a cot, that's all he had. On a Sunday morning, he was sitting on that cot in his eight-by-eight room. And that door was open and a preacher walked in. And he looked down at him and he said, Sir, he said, we're getting ready to have service right down the hall. Would you care to come down to services? The man looked at him and said, I don't need God. And I want you to get away from me and close the door when you go out. 
But the preacher didn't close the door when he left out. And in a few moments, the people began to sing at the little service down there in the meeting area. And they began to sing a song. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Beneath His wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. And it made you think of his father and his mother who tried to teach him the ways of the Lord when he was a boy. And all of a sudden he realized that he had let God, he'd let all of his wealth and his money and all of his ambitions get between him and the Lord and he fell down. And this is his own testimony. He said, I slid off the side of that cart and got on my knees and asked God to forgive me for making idols out of my wealth and idols out of my possession. And he said, God, from this day forward, I will put Jesus Christ first in my life. He was converted there, got baptized a few days later. He was broke as a fiddle and his wife wasn't divorced from him, but she was away. He said, Lord, I'm going to start again, but I'm going to put Jesus Christ first. You know him as James Cash Penny. And he started again, and I'm going to give you a little secret that most people don't know. But James Cash Penny gave 75% of his profits to the work of the Lord. When his son asked him when he was on his deathbed, Daddy, are you doing okay? Everything all right? He said, son, only one thing I'm not happy about. James Cash Penny said this to his son. Son, if I had to do over, I'd put him more first and I'd give more than than I gave. For the only thing I've ever done that's worth anything is putting Jesus Christ first in my life. I'm saying this to you today. I'll give you a Bible example. Now, you listen to me good. Some of you's got money in the bank. Everything's good. You've got work laid out. Everything's rosy. You don't really need God. You don't need to put God first. I'm going to tell you something's going to happen to you. Some of, I'm going to tell you what it means to put God first. It means you're going to be in church. It means you're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to put God first in your business. You're going to put God in your life. I'm saying this. There's a man in the Old Testament who got in this trap. His name is Achan. Now, listen to this carefully. There's a great lesson here. In the book of Joshua, they, they were going in to conquer Jericho. God said, don't you take their gold, their silver, their Babylonian garment. Don't you take any of that stuff. He said, it's cursed. Are you listening to me? Achan went in there. You know the story. He took a Babylonian garment. He took a wedge of gold and silver, put it in his tent and hid it and covered it up. The next battle they went to fight, they got 36 men were killed. You had 36 widows and, and their orphans because a man didn't put God first in his life in a congregation. Joshua pulled him out. And here's the sad part about it is, you know the story. He got the confession out of him, took he and his wife and his family and everything they owned down the Valley of Achor, which is the Valley of Trouble, stoned them with stones, burned them with fire, and he lost everything. Here's the sad part. If he would have waited one more chapter, if he would have just put God first, did you know the next town 
that they were to take, God said you can have all the gold and the silver and the spoil of that town. We lose because we do not put God first. Man's mother said, she told him, she said, I'm having problems. Took his wife, took his mother down to a place to get an MRI. He's standing there. Mama's in the MRI deal. He's standing there with his friend that's his doctor. And he, MRI goes across her chest. He said, there's a spot there about the size of a golf ball. He says, you know what that means. He said, your mama has carcinoma cancer. He said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He said, it's going to go, he said, it's going to go into her breast. It's going to go into her lungs. And it's going to work its way to her backbone. And says she's not going to live over six months. And he said, within three months, she'll be begging somebody to let her die. He said, I'm not going to joke you about this. The man said, I don't want you to tell mama nothing today. Took her mama home. The man was an evangelist. And he said, I wanted to stay with my mama. And he said, I was making plans to get off the road and stay with my mama. He said, I didn't have peace about it. He said, I wrestled with God. And he said, the only verse that God would bring to my mind is seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, the hardest day of my life is when I packed my suitcase, put it in the trunk of my car and took off to a meeting. He said, I got down at the end of the driveway and he said, I stopped and throwed my head across the steering wheel. He said, I wept like I never wept since I was a kid. God, I don't want to leave my mama. She needs me. It's like God said, you don't worry about your mama. I'll take care of mama. You take care of my business. He said, that's nine years ago. I've never told her what that man told me. I've never told her what that man told me. He said, I'm just dumb enough to believe that whenever I put God first, he said, I'll take care of mama. I'm saying this to you. Oh, what we miss when we don't put God first. I want to be honest with you this morning. Listen to me. I'm going to be gone for a week. I love you. I'll be praying for you. I'll be back next Sunday morning, probably so wild like a wild man, monkey hanging off a tree preaching. All right? But I'm going to be gone. I'm going to leave this afternoon. But if I was to never come back, here's what I'd like to tell you. Put Jesus first. Ezra, put him first. Make him first. The devil and the world and the flesh will tell you, oh, you're going to have to miss church. This is more important. I say put him first. The devil's going to say, well, you're going to have to work on Sunday. I say put him first. Let the hay burn. Put him first. You say, well, I got to go. I got this job and I've got to, I've got to miss church and I, I, and I won't be able to serve the Lord. I say put him first. I'm too busy to get there on Sunday nights or Wednesday night. I'm telling you, put him first. You say, man, I had to compromise. I had to compromise my convictions to get that job. I had to compromise my convictions to get that work. I say, put him first. If you lose the job, don't compromise. You say, I had to cheat and I had to lie in order to save the money. I say, put him first. I had to be dishonest. Or I had to be immoral to get their affection. I say put him first. 
When we mature to where we love him for who he is, not for what we can get out of him, we'll be getting somewhere. The Bible's greatest example of this in the Old Testament was Abraham. When God told Abraham, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offering. And I'm going to tell you what God said about Abraham after he offered. He said, now I know. Now I know. I'm telling you something. Listen. But there's a man by the name of Eli who put his sons. The Bible said he honored his sons above the Lord and he lost them. Eli had his priorities mixed up. But Abraham had his priority. Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. And let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. I'm going to ask you a question this morning right now. Is God first in your life? Is he truly first in your life? Is he truly first in your life? The shame of life is not what we're happening to us. It's what we're, what's happening. We miss that God's not first in our life. I want to encourage you today. Put him first. I wished I'd have done better, Brother Phil. But to the degree that I've put God first in my life, God has always wrote a good last chapter. Let's stand together. Nothing wrong with things. Nothing wrong with bicycles. Nothing wrong with boats. Nothing wrong with motorcycles. As long as they don't get between you and God. Nothing wrong with a girl. As long as she don't get between you and God. Nothing wrong with a boy. As long as he don't get between you and God. Nothing wrong with a job or business until it gets between you and God. I want to ask everybody look up here. If I were to ask your children, what's first in daddy's life? What's first in your dad's life? If your children were honest with me, what would they say? If I would ask your children, what's first in your mother's life? What's the very first thing in your mother's life? What would she say? If I would ask your your father or your mother or your brothers or sisters, what's first in your brother's life? What would they say if they told the truth? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the wisdom of God. We were designed, Lord, and created to put you first in our life. Lord, I pray right now that you'd help me to not let anything get between me and you. Not to become an idolater. I pray, Lord, that we will seek you first. And that everything else is going to have to come afterward. Lord, that doesn't mean that we can't be a godly husband or a godly father. A good provider. It doesn't mean, Lord, that we can't have some enjoyments of life. But my Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to make sure that you're first. And that we'd not be cursed because we put things between you and ourselves. Lord, I pray now, Lord, that you'd forgive me. I pray that you'd cleanse me. I pray, God, that you'd do a good work in my heart and in my spirit that I would put you first. Lord, there are some things that are dear to our hearts. Lord, and Isaac was dear to Abraham. But, Lord, he put you first. Lord, help us to understand the blessings, the blessings that come and the promises when we keep our priorities straight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.